You're listening to Behind the Headlines, a weekly news talk show hosted by the Express News Group, publishers of the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com and SagHarborExpress.com, and featuring distinguished journalists from the East End to discuss what's news on the North and South Forks of Long Island. The program airs on WLIWFM 88.3 on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. and repeats Sundays at 1. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. I'm joined this week by my co-host Annette Hinkle, who is dutifully filling in for Joe Shaw, who is once again touring the world. Uh, good morning, Annette. Annette's the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Annette. Good morning, Bill. And how does Joe just keep the get going vacation? And we're still sitting here. I don't know how that. I don't know how that works. Someday there will we will catch up, I guess. We're joined today by Denise Civiletti, as usual, editor and publisher of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Good morning. Uh, Joe Workmeister, editor of the Suffolk Times and Riverhead News Review at the Times Review Media Group. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Good to be back. And last but not least, Beth Young, editor and publisher of the East End Beacon. Good morning, Beth. Good morning. So uh, let's start with with COVID again. Denise, you had uh, some interesting numbers that you posted the other day. Are we um, have we peaked with with Omicron? I know it looks like the numbers, the, the daily test numbers are down, but hospitalizations and deaths are still kind of peaking up. But they but they lag behind. Are we uh, have we seen the plateau? I don't think anybody can really say that definitively yet. I mean, you know, it's a it's definitely a good sign that the numbers are going down. I mean, when when Suffolk County's uh, positives got up in the range of 7,000 in a day, I, I kind of like, you know, you don't know what to make of all these numbers. They're just so it it felt, it felt, like a, felt like a reset, right? Like we were right back to, to two years ago. You know, but it's, you know, so they, they, they go down. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what like the uh, seven day average is, um, but you know they they went down, they bumped up a little, you know. So we'll see how it smooths out. But uh, but yeah, I mean hospitalizations and um, even ICUs are are still kind of uh, you know holding steady, going up a little. And like you said, it's a, a lagging indicator they call it. So um, you know we're, we're, just, we, we're just in this wait and see pattern, I guess. The, the hospitalizations, I think we mentioned it last week, but I, I know you mentioned it again. You had some numbers in, in your story that that the hospitals are saying that, you know, some of those numbers, a lot of those, a, a good portion of those numbers are people who come in for um, for other illnesses, other other emergencies or, or or illnesses or whatever, and then they're found to have COVID. So they're right. They test positive. They don't even know they have it. And uh you know, I think uh, Long Island region, the, the governor said is like 38 percent of hospitalizations are, are uh, fall into that category. So, you know, I guess that's good. That shows that it is, in fact, uh, less severe disease being caused by this variant. So but um, also indicates that a lot of people are probably walking around uh, with COVID and have no idea they have it. Right. So wear your mask. Right. Isn't that, you know, and wear a good like an N95 or a KN95 to uh, prevent uh, those germs from getting out into the environment and having other people breathe them in and wear the mask over your nose. As yeah. one uh, hospital official said to me, you, you know, you know that, you know that they, where they don't stick the swab, you know, <laughs> referring <laughs> to some other orifice. <laughs> they they so, uh, are it's, starting it's to swab people's that... throats. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, it's kind of interesting, you know, looking at um, over in um, in Nassau County, where the um, kind of that drama with the new county executive coming in and, and basically saying yeah. schools can just kind of do whatever they want, and their uh, um, their health commissioner who has been there through previous uh, um, administrations kind of went along with that. And that was a little controversial. And, and I know part of the reason, and he said was, well, uh, you know, so many people aren't wearing masks uh, correctly anyway, that, you know, it's almost like, you know, w- whatever. And, and I thought that was kind of interesting from a, from a, you know, a oh, health official, that level really? of sort of just be yeah. like, well, people aren't even wearing them correctly. So, so but, uh, why yeah, bother? good old Nassau County, I, mean, I guess. So- We've had some high numbers in, in the schools locally. I know East Hampton, and, and it was um, East Hampton shut down regular learning and went to remote for a few days last week and, and a couple early days this week um, and then came back. And I think that was mostly due to staffing shortages, um, you know, people with, with positive cases who had to quarantine and, and all that. But um, it, it's it's not... It's not like it's not. I mean, early on, it felt like COVID wasn't really affecting kids and they weren't vaccinated and all that. And you weren't seeing a high number of cases in kids. But now I think with with Omicron, you're certainly seeing it spread spread through the schools. I'm getting emails every day of, you know, a positive you know test here and there, um, you know, and quarantining and, you know, and, and all that. So it's not something to be ignored in schools anymore. I think it's also interesting. It seems like a lot of, I mean, my daughter was home from college and um, pretty much all of the college kids I've heard of have gotten it at some yeah. point. And I think it's also maybe just the nature of, you know, all of the kids are vaccinated that, that she hangs out with. And I think it's the nature of just the way that group tends to be as well. You know, kids just have yeah. to be more social. You know, adults can go two years without seeing anybody on the outside world. I know this from personal experience, but the, yeah. um, the, the teenagers just really, really want to be with each other. I think, and that might be part of the, the spread. So now a lot of those cases, I think, have gone back to the university system. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. But with the schools, too, I think we saw numbers, you know, immediately jump as soon as schools reopened. And that was largely just from the kids being home and just being around you know, being around, you know, family or whatever. And, you know, I said, I think there's still good signs that within the schools, the spread is not really um, that bad. And the kids are probably in a, in a, in a, you know, fairly safe environment when you know, everyone's wearing the masks in the classrooms and, you know, they're taking all the precautions that, you know, some people are so upset about, but yeah, um, yeah I think, I think it's still largely working. And, you know, I think if schools can kind of get through this month and be, you know, okay, then, you know, I think, we might be, you know, in the clear and, and not worrying too much about, uh, you know, any well, remote the, learning or. And the schools are, are passing out the testing kits, and I think that helps too. So, you know, rather than, I mean, you can you can test your kids, and if they come back positive, then you know, not not send them to school and all that, and that's a little easier than going to you know these places for you know for the PCR tests and and, and all that. So maybe that helps a little bit. But, but yeah, I wanted to I mean, ask if you're, you know, a parent, you have a couple of kids and, you know, you got to try to get to CVS at, you know, six o'clock at night or right. something like that to get a test, you know, it'd be tough. Yeah. Good luck finding them. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are they, are they back on the shelves now? I haven't looked, but I know you couldn't find them for a couple of You have to like, just keep going to the stores over and over again. And I've had some, I've seen some people post on Instagram. We got tests. They got tests at CVS. Go down. Yeah. 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 If, if, they're, if, if they're feeling nice, they'll tell you when the truck comes in. Right. One, one local pharmacy, I think Barth's in West Hampton Beach, had a waiting list for, for tests. So you could put your name on the, on the list, and when the tests came in, they would, they would let you know. 
But I, I wanted to ask, and I saw, uh, uh, I thought I thought it was an alarming story in in Newsday the other day, where they had talked to some experts, and the experts said that because Omicron is just so fast spreading and and kind of resistant to um, to the vaccines and all that, that we were just going to get to a point where everybody on Long Island is just going to be, you know, is just going to have COVID and, and will have had COVID and, and that maybe that's a positive thing and it, and it moves on. So everybody has the antibodies and it's, and it's something less to worry about, but it, it seemed like that. I mean, I, I think that's a really bad way to look at it. And then everybody just throws their hands up and says, you know, okay, so, so what? And stops wearing masks and stops taking precautions and, and all that. But, but I mean, is there any, I mean, I've heard that a number of I've heard that from a number of sources. Um, and I mean, while that may be true, one thing I think if if we learn anything from this virus and from Omicron in particular is like, you know, you don't know if ha- contracting the, the virus and con- with this variant is going to provide any protection against the next variant that comes exactly. along because there's going to be a next variant. And so, I mean, that may just all that may make us all sitting ducks no matter what. I don't know what, what that yeah. says, really, but, um, you know. I think part of it is just sort of uh, an a, a under, a veiled expression of how, like, if you're vaccinated, it's like, okay, I've done what I can do. And if people are getting very sick with it who are unvaccinated, it's kind of like, unfortunately, this is, this is how it's going to go. And you know what? This feels like a cold, so people are going yeah. about their lives if they're vaccinated. Um, and there's been a lot of chances to get vaccinated if you're not. And if you're, if you don't, then you really are taking your chances, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I was talking to somebody the other day and not that, not that she was flipping about it and, and she's vaccinated and boosted, but, um, had had COVID, um, uh, you know, early on an early variant and then had COVID again a couple weeks ago and, and wasn't, wasn't flippant about it, but it was like, yeah, so I've had it a couple of times. So, you know, I, you know, and was joking around with her family members that, you know, that she had had the, the uh, OG COVID, you know, which was the original strain and now she's got the new strain and, and all that. And it just, I don't know if it's just a COVID weariness at this point, or if people are just less, less concerned about it because uh because omicron if you're vaccinated then you know then you get like and that said it just feels like a cold and and you move on but it 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 just um seems like people are 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 being a little less cautious about it and i i think that's that's the wrong attitude yeah i I wonder if this happened with the flu in 1918 you know with the flu when the flu because now it's like the flu is still with us and it's basically the same kind of flu that was around in 1918 it comes around every year but um i I wouldn't be surprised if this is what happens with covid is what was a totally deadly disease in the beginning becomes a nuisance that you know people die from every year but not nearly the numbers that originally it i i I think that's what they're predicting and i think certainly that's that's what we're going to prepare for um yeah i mean i i think it seems like the chance to kind of completely eradicate it is probably long gone at this point i would think right, right? Yeah. if we ever had a chance that's <laughs> yeah. a good question yeah right yeah but well, i mean the, the, I'm, I'm generally happy. the natural progression of viruses is to become more virulent and less severe um not saying this one will follow that course but that's good term. yeah well I'm, yeah i mean in the future i mean yeah. probably i mean 
kind of a typical cold somebody would get and it could be covid but you know no one's going to know because they're not going to be going to get tested for you know sniffles or whatever so wow. i don't know i guess maybe eventually down few down years down the line we just lose track of how many people really even have covid or, or not or yeah well I, I imagine we'll get booster shots every year like maybe it'll be part of the flu shot or, or a different shot and i'm certainly right. happy and willing to uh to do that rather than get than get covid um all right. Do we want to move on? Um, I know Joe and we do. We do. Yeah. <laughs> Can we please move no on? With COVID? Can we be done with COVID? Please. Um, I can't believe it's 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 you know it's almost two years now. It's just crazy. Um, but I know uh, Joe and Denise, you both talked about um, Riverhead revitalization and um, a ten million dollar grant that was awarded to. Uh, to Riverhead um, this past week, which I think is really exciting news up there. It sure is. I mean, I, you know, a, a lot can be done with that money and um, hopefully uh, a lot will be done with it and hopefully it will have some impact. I mean, the saga of revitalization downtown Riverhead is um, something that's definitely going to outlive me along with like what's going to happen to EPCAL, I think. Like I some point, like 20 years ago or so, I was hopeful that I would live to see the answer to those things, but I don't know anymore. Um, I actually just what, happened. What would we write about if all these things just I, uh, were settled? I don't know. You know, fun things, maybe. I don't know. I, but like, I just, I came across the other day, I was looking for something else. And I came across a column I wrote, Joe, when I was uh, an editor of the News Review in uh, February of 2003. About downtown, oh, wow. about downtown revitalization. I mean, I swear I could just sort of change some names, and you know, it's good to go. It's crazy, but I, you know, like this ten million dollar grant could really be a game changer. I think because um, you know, it it it's going to infuse the process with money. They're going to do, a, and and the state's going to be involved. They're going to have a strategic planning process, and they're going to come up with a strategic plan. Um, for how to spend that money uh, that's got to be done this year. And um, it's going to have like some structure to it, which I think, you know, will be helpful. Um, you know, it was an agonizing month, right? I mean, uh, you know, they announced the first DRI, the Downtown Revitalization Initiative grant in um, early December, and it was a $20 million grant to Chinatown. And then they announced grants for every other region in the state except Long Island. We're always and, last, right? You know, uh, yeah. And it was like, uh, you know, and then it, nothing was happening. I, I think they got distracted with COVID and stuff, but, you know, no word, no word, every, you know. So it, it was good to it was good to see. And uh, they, they had this, you know, press conference uh, that the lieutenant governor did by Zoom. And they had that in the meeting room at, at town hall. Um, and everybody was really happy. And, um, you know, it, it, it was good. So we'll see. There's going to be a lot going on one way or another in downtown Riverhead. There's, you know, um, a lot of irons in the fire when it comes to development uh, and uh, housing, housing in particular um, along Main Street. And that's going to change the face of downtown um, significantly. And, you know, there's still a lot of people that are not so keen on what's what's going on there. Um, so we'll see how that plays out as well. Um, so, Joe, what's what's the the status of the current um, project? And I, I forget what they're calling it. Where they knocked down the couple of buildings and they're building the uh, 
that we're putting in the right at the town square. Town square. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 So that process says uh, that has, that has been that, started. That, started. That helped them to secure this grant, right? Uh, I, I would think. I would think that um, you know p- part of that development plan, um, you know, gave them a little boost in their application. Um, and, and, you know, they've uh, started demolishing the demolition of those uh, couple of buildings across from the Suffolk Theater to, you know, make way for uh, that town square. And, and you know, that could be kind of the first uh, one, one of the first steps here in, in this, you know, revitalized downtown and, and, you know, kind of make it a little more walkable. And, and what's so, the, you know, what's the town square going to look like? Well, remains um, to so be basically, seen. you know, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah. not. I mean, totally. Uh, I guess set in stone, but you know, some of the kind of renderings we've seen so far just kind of show a you know pretty open space from across from the Suffolk Theater, where you'd have like a clear view down to the Peconic Riverfront, and um, you know, just kind of a space, open space, people can kind of gather and hang out, and um, you know, I'm not sure exactly you know what type of um, you know, amenities they might want to add in or little booths or whatever kind of, you know, I guess that could still be determined. But, um, you know, just in terms of uh, this grant now, you know, this has been something since the, the state started this, I think around 2016, the, the town of Rivers tried to get it each time uh, before and, and didn't, you know, wasn't the recipient. And, you know, as they, they said, there's typically between, you know, 90 or 100 applications. So, you know, it is a lot of competition. And, um you know, in 2019, the uh, the governor Kathy Hochul, who was the lieutenant governor at the time, came and uh, did a little tour of Riverhead and kind of encouraged uh, you know Riverhead and other towns to just you know keep keep at it and uh, keep uh, you know keep applying. So I think there was kind of maybe a little sense you know after that that you know Riverhead was pretty close and 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 you know what and officials had said they had been a finalist in the past. So I think there was a lot of optimism now that you know Riverhead could get this and. Um, you know, but as Denise was saying, it was a, it was a really a waiting game these last few weeks because, as you said, as you said, you know, all these other t- towns were being announced, and everyone was just kind of waiting, like, all right, where's Long Island? You know, and, and we're, you know, we're checking in, and they're like, oh, you know, we'll let you know, we'll let you know, and and uh, so, <laughs> you know, you know, finally, uh, yesterday was the day. I, you know, a, a key thing was in when Hochul was here as lieutenant governor in 2019. I'm pretty sure that was in connection with. Um, a, a, another uh, pot of funds, not the downtown revitalization initiative, but that consolidated funding application. And, and Riverhead got eight hundred thousand dollars in twenty nineteen mm. to actually begin the process for um, the town square. I mean, that was really right. like the centerpiece of what they were looking to do. Right. And um, um, you know, and that that's just covers what, the demo. Uh, right? That the, yeah. that well. Oh. It, uh, it did its demo site work planning, you know, um, and, and so the fact that they got that and the state kind of had some skin in the game made Riverhead officials really hopeful that now there wasn't there wasn't a round of funding in 2020 because of the pandemic, but they were really hopeful that they were going to get, you know, one of the and they were a finalist in, in three in three years past too for this. So um, they were they were very optimistic, as you as you pointed out, Joe, and, um, you know, it, it panned out. So. Um, they, they bought, and, and there was there was a double winner too. So that that, you know, yeah. that was obviously helpful because there was twenty million available. So yeah. uh, the village of Amityville was able to get it as, as well. So we had two winners from Suffolk County. So yeah, obviously having that too. double that money available, that was good. Um, I you know I was so part of me was kind of hoping that uh, town of Southampton would get it because they put in for Riverside, you know, to get right. the 
So, but yeah. I, I understand that they were not a finalist, um, unfortunately, because that's, I feel like that's a really big piece of the puzzle for downtown Riverhead is to revitalize Riverside, which has been long neglected by the town of Southampton. Sure. Um, yeah. And um, once you get both sides of the river uh, redeveloped, it's just going to yeah. be, I mean, it's, it's, such, it's really beautiful. I mean, the riverfront is, is just gorgeous. And, you know, like, like, like Joe said, you can't, you can't see it from, from Main Street Riverhead if you don't know to go down in, into the park. Well, you um, can now. That's you, can, you can now, and, <laughs> and I think that's really important. And Riverside, yeah. too, it's so beautiful there. Maybe they'll, they'll keep applying and, and like with Riverhead. Um, I mean, I'm sure there are other parts to this, too. I mean, the town purchased for like four and a half, five and a half million dollars, um, three buildings. They tore two of them down, and the third one was in uh, better shape, and that's where... Uh, on the ground floor is crafted and the offices above and right. um, the town's hoping to work with a private developer to uh, renovate and actually expand that building um, uh, to to the south and prop most likely up I, I would think but um, and along the the side of that building they're talking about building out little shops so that uh-huh. the town square will have these little shops there and then the building on the other side of this demolition site was perched was another Sweezy's building, which was purchased by the Long Island Science Center, which has some very exciting plans there. And they just got one point one two million dollar grant from the state to uh, make that project happen. Riverhead's mm-hmm. grant is going to be also going to support the Science Center, the uh, reno- that project renovations at the Vale Levitt Theater, which is a historic theater on Peconic Avenue. Really um, beautiful theater. Available. So that place it is really just is. gorgeous. And um, yeah. and also the Suffolk Theater, another historic theater directly across the street. So uh, it's also going to go toward uh, infrastructure improvements to, as, as you mentioned, Joe, walkability downtown and connecting the downtown with this transit-oriented development district um, by the railroad station uh, where there's going to be more development. There already is a, a plan there for another um, apartment building uh, mixed use building there. So, like I said, a lot of uh, a lot of construction is going to be happening in Riverhead in the next couple of years. It sounds well, like it's good. It's good to see the the theaters, um, you know, being included in that. And not not that Riverhead wants to model itself over Patchogue, but in in Patchogue, it was it was you know bringing back the theater there that really helped them with their downtown. And then you know Denise, like you said, building housing and stuff, and and really accounted for the rebirth of of Patchogue Village over there. So hopefully you see some of the same benefits here. It, it, it's really good to see Riverhead being proactive with with that stuff too and and going out and and starting to get that stuff done i'm not sure i'd use that word proactive okay (laughs) active Uh, but you know i mean one thing that i i try i remind people sometimes is that riverhead town purchased the the suffolk theater after it closed down in 1987 i think um before patchogue bought that theater before west hampton West Hampton Theater was bought to convert to a performing arts center before the Bayshore Theater. I mean, it was like the first town to say, oh, we're going to buy this old theater and make a a performing arts center out of it. And was never able to do that. Uh So they finally sold it to Bob Castaldi, who um, did just a spectacular job renovating that place um, and is trying to figure out, I think, how it could be run uh, 
uh, at least pay expenses <laughs> at this point because that's not you know especially in the era of a pandemic uh, an easy thing but. they do have gary Higum at the uh controls of the suffolk theater now he was yes the one who sort of brought life back to the patchock theater so yeah he used to work at the bay street theater as well so he's gary got yeah the stuff so it's yes we are hopeful so Good. Well, you, you brought up um, you brought up West Hampton and the theater there. And I, I wanted to mention, um, you know, a story that that I, I wrote this week that, um, you know, they've got the ongoing sewer project in, in West Hampton Beach, was, which is just in, in my eyes has, has been miraculous how how they've how they've worked that out. Um, and, and the story, the, the lead of the story was that they got a three point three million dollar grant from the state DEC. Um, to help um, to help renovate the, the the sewer treatment plant at Kabreski Airport, which the village is going to to tie into, they're running um, two miles of sewer line um, along Main Street and West Hampton Beach, and then south of Main Street into some of the condo complexes there. And this is a close to a fifteen million dollar project. Um, and and part of the project and part of the approval. Um, tying into the, you know, the plant at Kabreski was that they upgrade the, the plant there. Um, the, the, the $3 million grant combined with a, a $250,000 Suffolk County grant pays most of the $4.8 million cost for the upgrades at the plant. They've also received, I mean, it, it's, it was close to $13 million to run the lines and they received, um, Another five million dollar DEC grant for that, almost two million dollars in state environmental facilities grants, and four million dollars in community preservation fund money um, for for that project. And and what that equates to is, you know, they they were thinking that village taxpayers would would pay for this sewer project, and and at this point, it's looking like the cost to taxpayers is going to be almost nil. Um, and I mean, you talk about revitalization. They did, uh, you know, a great improvement project on West Hampton Beach over the last couple of years. And now this new sewer district, they don't have any sewers there. Um, the benefits are twofold. One, they're, they're, they're going to be able to um, bring in more, more uses, more, more restaurants, bars, wet uses, that type of stuff into the village, make it more of a destination. Um, and and improve get more housing above stores that type of thing and really expand the downtown area but the environmental benefits are incredible and and this was was how they figured it out and I think it was brilliant is is the Moneybug Bay south of, of West Hampton Beach has has had you know raw <laughs> raw sewage and you know running running into the bay for years and, and this sewer project will will help restore Moneybug Bay and Moneybug Canal. Um, Dr. Christopher Gobler from Stony Brook University helped them prepare uh, prepare uh, a plan to show how a sewer district would would help over there, and they had grant uh, you know great grant writers that that got these grants and tying it back to Riverhead. So so you apply for these grants and you get these grants and and you can you can do these projects where in the old days you know you just had to you had to try to you know they've been talking about. You know, building sewers in West Hampton Beach literally for 50 years, seriously for 20 years. But the opposition was always, how do you pay for it if you're going to have to build a sewage treatment plant for, for 20, 30 million dollars? And now they don't because they figured out they could tie into the, the county plan at Gabreski and you had everybody work together to uh, to make that happen. And I'm just so impressed with, um, you know, with the current 
village government there that, that over the last four or five years, they, they figured this out and um, they broke ground in the spring and they hope to finish by the summer. I think it's just really a great thing. So tie, yeah. tying that back to Riverhead, I, I think you know you, you see these you see these uh, these different towns and villages, you know, especially in these trying times, you know, moving forward with these projects and and getting yeah. stuff done. Well, that's why they call it critical infrastructure, right? Because it really is, and I mean that's what Riverside needs. I mean that, that Riverside isn't going to uh, revitalization there isn't really going to happen unless they get uh, sewage treatment, right. and. Um, they were trying to work with the town of Riverhead to uh, work something out with the sewer, the sewer district in the town of Riverhead, which dates back to like the 1930s, um, although the sewer plant has been much renovated. <laughs> Not 1930s uh, technology, but, right. um, you know, it's... Would it, would, it, would it have the capacity? I'm trying to remember back. The, I mean, the plant doesn't have the capacity to bring in Riverside, right? It, it, it would not. Um, but it could be expanded. And I mean, I think there's some thought that it makes sense to, you know, expand that as opposed to build a new. Um, right. But, um, you know, that I, that's that's kind of like a non-starter. Uh, you know, there's been kind of longstanding stuff with uh, the sewer district and, you know, the county center hooking up to the sewer right. plant without telling the town <laughs> years ago um, but um you so, know. so how much of that is is the the divided line the southampton town side which is riverside river riverside and and you know riverhead town on on the opposite end is is there no way for the two to work together i i, I mean i know that riverside rediscovered which is the revitalization plan there i think they want to work with with riverhead but i don't know how easy that happens when you have the two municipalities trying to work together. I'll say it takes a village <laughs> and leave it at that. Okay, well. <laughs> I think, that, I don't know. That might be an option. Yeah. The village well, of Riverside. I know they talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. There was Bring a village it. there once a long time mm-hmm. ago. I don't know if any, it was called the village of Pine Valley. Do you remember that, Beth? Were you yes. Like, it was near, I wasn't near there Northampton, for that. right? It was more near <laughs> Northampton. The, the, t- the village hall was like right off the Riverside Circle. It was, yeah, it took in, you know, yeah. it didn't cross the town boundary, though. It didn't, it didn't work last out. very it long. It didn't work either. out really well. It didn't. It didn't last long. And it, uh, it, uh, it reminded me of the, there was a soap opera where there was a village of Pine Valley that, <laughs> <laughs> that I watched when I was a kid. Like, I don't, all my children, I think it was. Anyway, yeah. um, but uh, yeah, that didn't work out. So you know, villages are tricky things. I mean, you need yeah. the, you need to. They're not easy to establish, and they're not easy to maintain because it's additional taxation too. So yeah. you know, yeah. a lot of them have gone down. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on WLIW 88.3 FM. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm managing editor of the Express News Group. My co-host this week, Annette Hinkle from the Express News Group. Uh, we're joined today by Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Joe Workmeister from the Times Review Media Group, and Beth Young from the East End Beacon. Um, Beth, so I know you had a story, and, and we kind of covered it too, that um, Governor Kathy Hochul um, signed uh, Assemblyman Fred Thiel's bill to allow um, CCA, Community Choice Aggregation, which uh, <laughs> we, we're all still trying to figure out, um, 
in in on, on Long Island where you know where where LIPA operates, and and that's that was part of the the, the structure of the Long Island Power Authority kind of prevented that. Can you kind of explain that to me like I'm a five-year-old because I'm really not. <laughs> oh, not I have, I have the seven-year-old version prepared. I don't have the All five-year-old right, well, version. Work. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this is something that uh, we, we always in the media have a little bit of trouble um, uh, explaining to people because it's very technical. And actually, Governor Cuomo last year signed a bill that did almost everything they needed to do um, to get this off the ground, except this is um, one aspect of the regulations that Fred Thiel always called the poison pill, which is that LIPA's regulatory structure for these types of electric agreements made them more expensive to consumers. So, so community like choice aggregation. So community yeah. choice ag- aggregation allows towns and municipalities to purchase electricity from entities other than than the regular service provider, correct? Right. And the reason they would do that would be like to buy them from um, a renewable energy company. So you're, you, okay. you're still getting your power through the same wires that come. The infrastructure is still LIPA's infrastructure, but the power you're buying is from renewable sources. And, um, and it might not the, be cheaper, but you know that it's better for the environment. Right. And historically, it hasn't been cheaper because LIPA made sure there was a five cent per kilowatt hour surcharge on it. And this bill Uh that Governor Hochul signed um, just before Christmas um, would allow uh, this to be rewritten. Now, it's not a done deal, but Southampton's been at the forefront of trying to get this off the ground. Um, And basically, you know, there'd be a local you'd get your your electric bill from a local CCA, they're calling it. Um, I have the name of it here. Yeah. Um, Community Choice Power in Southampton Town. Uh, East Hampton Town has signed on to this in concept as well. They could expand it so it's not just Southampton Town. But if it comes to pass, it would be automatic. You live in Southampton, you get your electric bill from this place, unless you opt out and say, I'd rather work with LIPA or PSEG. Um, wow. But this is this is one of the easiest ways to get the towns to their renewable energy goals, which are really um, uh, ambitious. Uh, right. They're kind of they've they've kind of thrown all their weight behind uh, offshore wind, which is going to take some time to develop the infrastructure. The South Fork Wind Farm, I believe, they're going to be starting work this this winter, um, but that's going to take yeah. a couple of years to get up and running. Uh, so this, if they could get it in place sooner, would would get them to their renewable energy goals sooner. Uh, but there's still a lot of moving pieces. So, 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 so the town, so so the town would opt into it, and then individual individual homeowners, ratepayers would would then have an option to opt into it or not. Is that how? It no, works? they would automatically be opted in, and they would have to oh, choose to right. opt out. So that is something that okay. a lot of people. Kind of like like cannabis. (laughs) 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 Electricity and cannabis. That's right. Get your lava lamp going. Um, So, um, (laughs) so, so, uh, so this is one thing that Southampton's really, uh, really been on board with from the beginning. Um, And uh, this kind of John Bouvier, uh, right? I mean, it was he kind of took the lead on it, Councilman Bouvier. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the yeah. Renewable Energy Committee has really been working hard on this. So 
Um, and another uh, big thing that's going on in Southampton next weekend, um, it, it's uh, actually the Southampton Arts Center, and this group called Drawdown East End are, are putting together a festival of solutions and um, a festival of solutions to climate change. And the, uh, the idea behind this concept of drawdown is that uh, two thirds of decisions that affect the climate are made at the household level. Um, and this is a series of really comprehensive things that people can do uh, in their own homes that are really going to be impactful. Um, range from composting to uh, choices of clothing to what kind of car you drive and all that kind of stuff. So this is going to be really helping people come up with solutions. Um, it's simple things like planting uh, landscaping that attracts um, uh, pollinators, uh, which is really uh. huge um, because agriculture is... Um, depends on pollinators and uh because of the way we've built up our suburban environment uh it's really m more difficult for them to thrive uh and there's th there's like a whole local effort behind you know backyard beekeeping at this point as well so this festival they're having at the southampton arts center next uh next weekend is going to uh they're bringing in a filmmaker who made a, a movie uh, called 2040 about everything we can do between now and 2040 to reverse climate change. And it's really taking like a proactive angle toward it. Cause I think a lot of the news that you get about climate change is there's nothing we can do. And we all just have to hope that we're not going to. Or, or, or we see stories about what, you yeah. know, what, what government should be doing and, and what, you know, what industry should be doing. But I think a lot of people, me, me included, I, I mean, that, that's so interesting to me because it's like, what can I do individually to, you know, and you feel like, you know, you're so small in, in the world that whatever you do individually won't make a difference. But if we're all doing those those little things to make a difference, then, you know, then we can make a change. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's democracy in action. <laughs> Right. Um, so what uh, are some of the things, I mean, bee, beekeeping, but, but, you know, so average, average, average homeowners, average people, what, what can we be doing to, to, to make a difference to yeah. kind of reverse course here? Taking care of the land you live Community. on. Um, if you yeah. have space to compost, there, uh, there are some efforts afoot for municipal composting. I know in an, in a rural area, that seems a little difficult. Um, but uh, they did a pilot program in Southall last year um, where uh, everybody brought their compost to a farm in Peconic and they counted how much they collected. And, you know, I mean, you have to bring it to the farms. You have to weigh the, uh, the impact of that. Um, building materials, if you're doing any kind of renovations, uh, fo forward forward thinking on uh, how you how you integrate things in, in building projects so that they can re use renewable energy in the future. Um, but really things you do in your yard. Um, I mean, growing plants, um, plants capture carbon in their roots. Um, so, you know, gardening is a, cli a very climate friendly uh, thing to do. And the, the pollinators cannot be uh, and, um, and not raking my leaves and le leaving my yeah. leaves on, on the ground. That, that well, helps, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's really... <laughs> it fertilizes and kind of helps. Yeah, I have to talk to... 
<laughs> yeah, my neighbors are getting on my case about that. Um, <laughs> their leaves. Um, <laughs> but I'm yeah, um, and even you know, if you if you take out a few square feet of lawn and put in plants um, that attract pollinators, that that's a really big thing, and it's it's beautiful. Yeah. Maybe don't buy so um, much stuff. I feel like people buy too much stuff, you know? Like, look at those Amazon yeah. warehouses. I, don't know, I think that's what's been interesting. What's watching the news the last few nights. It seems like the global system is sort of breaking down, you know, as far as, like, yeah. you know, companies trying to get stuff on a massive scale. So maybe this is a really good time to really, really, really focus on buying local, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and buy not, local. Not absolutely. Covered in plastic. Yeah, f uh, eating choices are really important too. Uh, what, how you choose to eat. Well, hey, uh, wait, a, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, and there are so many options. You don't have to. You, you don't. You don't. You don't have to. Uh, you don't. You don't have to adhere to any specific doctrine. There's just so many options right. out there. Um, but the right to repair movement, which sounds kind of funny that there is a movement called the right to repair movement. But um, what what Annette was saying about all the stuff we have is planned to be obsolete, and um, and even Crazy. like the chips in our you know the hard drives being um, soldered to computers so you can't upgrade them, um, like things you don't even think about that that really it's like it doesn't have to be soldered in there. Yeah, the whole idea of planned obsolescence. It's a really great show I saw in the city a number of years ago, and it was like 1950s like refrigerators, and it basically had a label that said how long they had been built to last. And originally, they were built to last forever, and then they realized they made more money when they broke down after. Sure. Five, seven, eight, eight. I still have it's, my. It's amazing. I, I, oh, I was just saying, my, my my parents when they moved from their longtime home in Corum, still had in their basement as a spare, uh, a, a refrigerator they bought in 1956. And this was like in the 1990s. Yeah. And it was still going. It's probably still going. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I'm kind of a laughing stock because I refuse to get new appliances if I can avoid it. And I've got a refrigerator that even my repairman, who's a, an angel, uh, says, you know, I, I think it's time. <laughs> it's like the amount of water that those, or water and electricity that some of those old appliances yeah. draw actually probably would make it more efficient to buy yeah, them. Absolutely. I know what yeah. But, th but then they break after seven years, the new okay. one. So yeah. I don't know. But my refrigerator is only 15 years old. I can't believe it's, you know, it's got to be replaced. Yeah. <laughs> right. I wouldn't be saying that if it were my computer, though. Like, right. like, one really <laughs> wonderful thing about downtown Riverhead is the um, vacuum cleaner repair store. Yeah, that's a ah. cool place. <laughs> They've got yeah. everything. I mean, people, everything is everything's disposable, you know, now that's a society. That would be yeah. interesting if we yeah, have Riverhead, like when it does redevelop, you get back the dry cleaner and the shoe repair. And, um, yeah. you know, so you have uh, all of the big box stores out on, on the other road and then Riverhead becomes a throwback kind of how to repair all of those things that you don't want to We still have with. a shoe repair place. Wow, you're lucky. We don't have any. On like Griffey that. Avenue. Wow, we don't have any of those out here anymore. Hopefully he stays around. Yeah. You're listening to Behind the Headlines, a weekly news talk show hosted by the Express News Group. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm managing editor of the Express News Group. My co-host today, Annette Hinkle, arts and living editor of the Express News Group. We're joined by Denise Civiletti, uh, Riverhead Local, Joe Workmeister of the Times Review Media Group, and Beth Young of the East End Beacon. Uh, Denise, I know you had a story today um, 
dating back to um, to the house fire from November that that killed those people that there's still no no cause determined for the fire and and I think it um, you, you had mentioned that you know we had that you know there was that huge fire in, in the city this weekend and they almost immediately said what caused that fire but nobody can can say what what happened in in, in Riverhead. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, some things are more complicated than others. I mean, the fact that it was a big apartment building versus a house uh, doesn't necessarily matter. But but people have been saying that, like, well, how come, you know, Um, and um, it's in the it's in the uh, hands of the Suffolk County Police Department arson squad. And uh, they keep saying and they did as recently as yesterday that it's. um, you know, yet to be determined is still under investigation. Um, what the sister of the the victim and sister of, of the woman who uh, was a tenant there and then the aunt of the, the children uh, of that woman um, said that the investigators told her that they believe it was started by a cigarette that was discarded on the, on the deck, on the porch of the house. Um, that one of the, uh, one of the woman's sons who perished in the fire had just had a birthday and he had friends over that night, apparently. And she told us that um, back in November. Um, and so I don't know, but, you know, it remains to be seen. But this, uh, you know, it's have, really. Have it's, they at least said whether they think it's accidental or whether some fault? Yeah, right? no, they, 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 right away they said they did not believe it was criminal in nature. Okay. So, um, you know, I don't know whether there will be any violations or anything related to the structure itself but um you know that there was they they kind of like immediately ruled out arson as a as a cause whatever it was it was accidental and negligent but um you know it's just um you know it's a it's a little narrow street downtown riverhead second street runs parallel to main street and uh, a lot of old homes there um and it's just i mean this you know, when you when you get out, when you stop there and get out of your car and, you know, this is a massive house. It was a really big house. Uh, I think yeah. like the biggest one in the, in the neighborhood. And um, it just it just still sort of takes your breath away kind of to see this. Well, such a tragedy. And, and uh, it's so, uh, you know, I mean, it's just so big and so. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could just, it's just such a reminder really of what happened that night. And you can't imagine, you know, what that was like. Um, I, I would think the families would want to kind of put closure on it a little bit too. Absolutely, that, yeah. I, I, I don't know that, you know, d- determining whether it was a cigarette or whether it was something else makes any difference at yeah. all to, to the families, but at least you can, you know, you can start to, you know, look forward from it. She said they told her that, uh, but they would have a. They expected to have a final report by the end of February. Um, that's still a long ways off, obviously. No. Um, and I know that the neighbors near there are anxious to, uh, like as you say, kind of close, have closure, and move on. Uh, that that built the structure can't be taken down until the investigation's closed. So, no. you know, it's there. And now that all of, there were these very, uh, I mean, the displays of flowers and candles and things that had been there. Uh, all along, um, you know, those are all gone now. And it's just, you know, even on the, you know, on the sidewalk, there's still like charred pieces of wood and there's you know, all over. It's like, I um, mean, it's all fenced off, but 
it's just really, uh, you know, it's it's a sight and um, it's very sobering. Yeah. Well, it's seen that it, do, it does sort of seem like from the beginning they kind of uh, were seemingly hinting at smoking as a cause. I mean, I yeah. think I remember just, you know, from the initial day and then, um, and, you know, in some follow-ups that we were trying to get info to, you know, police seem to be saying, you know, it's still under investigation, you know, we're looking at smoking as a possible cause. So it seems, you know, to be the way they're leaning yeah. for sure at this point. But yeah. um, it would be yeah, really hard be to pinpoint to see, you know, what that final report leaves. Yeah. Yeah, and you, and you wonder what kind of lessons you can take away from, you know, something like this. How, you know, how do you – what, if anything, can you take away to prevent, um, you know, this from happening again? And, and just, you know, there are all these other older homes in the area as well that, you know, you, know, you, you just wonder, could another toss cigarette or something, you know, in, instantly kind of light up another home you know, just as easily as that one did? It's, it's, uh, it's scary. I mean, there's a lot of answers that need to, you know, I hope that they, they determine, like, you know, where they're working smoke detectors in, in, you know, we don't know if the people who in the building were sleeping, it broke out like at, at 1030 at night or something like that, if I recall. And, um, you know, the people who died were all trapped on the third floor. Was there something about that that, um, you know, the location that contributed to their inability to um, to escape, um, yeah. you know, is there something that should be done legislatively that like, you know, for rentals, that should there be some, uh, assembly woman, uh, Jody Giglio told me that she was thinking of putting in legislate a bill that would require sprinklers in third floor apartments of multifamily, mm. uh, units. That's not, you know, even, even ones that are sort of grandfathered from updated building code regulations. Um, right. so, I don't know. I mean, there's a well, lot of unanswered questions still, yeah. but, um, you know. Well, an individual family should should be looking at that stuff, too, making sure that your smoke detectors are mm-hmm. are, are working and that you have a way to get out if, if the stairs are blocked and, you know, and that, and that type of thing. I mean, in the... The, you know, the fire in the city shows us that fires happen. There was a fire in, in Southampton this week. Thank God the, the homes were unoccupied, but two homes, you know, um, completely destroyed by by fire. These things happen. You have to you know, keep it in the in the back of your mind, I think, and just be be prepared. So that you know how to get out. It's terrifying, yeah. really. Yeah, and it, and it's, it's the smoke that, yeah. that, you know, is the most dangerous, really more than, you know, the flames. Like, I think that's what happened in that city uh, fire, right? I mean, I think the fire itself was mostly kind of contained to that apartment. Right, but the smoke just got out and basically flooded the whole building. And, uh, that's, the smoke yes. can just rapidly really rise so fast that uh, you don't have everything. a lot of time. Yeah. yeah. Got to keep the doors closed. Like one of the big lessons there, I think, was that, you know, in a fire situation, close any doors you can yeah. to try to limit smoke spreading and fire spreading. That a little thing like that, I think, made a big difference in that um, that apartment where the door was left open to the apartment, and that allowed the smoke to quickly kind of get out and just flooded the whole uh, complex. Created like a flu, they said, because a self closing door right. didn't function. Right, it was supposed to close right. behind, and uh, it just created that stream of air, and you know. I, it's it's so te- it's terrifying to me, honestly. I I don't know. I, I'm kind of paranoid about fires in general, but um, and I had I've only been to one fire. I mean, Beth, you're, you know, as a firefighter, I'm sure you can uh, talk about this. But I mean, I went to I've been at the scene of one fire that was really a blaze, kind of like like this one. Um, 
a few years ago in Calverton and the whole house was just burning. And I was just, I, I don't think I'll ever forget the sound of it and the smell. And it just like, yeah. it was just so impressive. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, I think it, that's it, it, what's lingering in a lot of people's heads on second street t- today yeah. and will for a long time. Everything happens so quickly. Split second decisions are yeah. life or death. They really are. So, yeah. smoke detectors, everybody. That's really Absolutely. important. And, uh, Absolutely. Can't and make sure you enough. have, make sure yeah. you know where which of your windows are egress windows, and that you and that right. you don't block them. It's very important. Yeah. You can always replace your house. Yeah, you don't you don't have a lot of uh, time to think in the heat of the moment, right? You have to have a plan and, and know what you're going to do with. You know, and don't take anything you with you. Just get get out. <laughs> Just the people but, and the animals, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. On, on that, on that, that sad, happy note, <laughs> on that happy note, and that sad note, we are uh, until next week. We are <laughs> we are running out of time. I appreciate uh, appreciate you all showing up today. Um, kind of wish Joe was here. Where's Joe? <laughs> uh, it was a re- really good it's show, guys. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah.